Good morning, good afternoon. How are you doing out there? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I hope you're doing well out there. Today is November the 17th, 2021. We are, um, well, we just got a nice big dump of snow here in, uh, in Alberta, so winter is finally upon us. It's feeling, it doesn't feel that bad, to tell you the truth. I mean, we haven't hit minus 40 yet, so that's that's probably saying, not saying too much, but um, thank you for listening wherever you are in the world today. Hopefully you're doing well, keeping safe, safe, staying safe on the roads out there. Hopefully you got your winter tires on, uh, got your boots ready to go. You're outside in the snow and, you know, just, just try. Uh, one, one of the things I've done over the last few years with the winter is try to appreciate it a little bit more, even though it can be a pain to get outside and to shovel and to scrape your car and all that other nonsense. But if you just sit back and you know, um, try to find some positives about it that, you know, Christmas is right around the corner that, you know, if you live in the States, you got Thanksgiving coming and everything else. And, and, you know, there's lots of things that you can actually do within the, the, um, some, the winter months. So, you know, kind of just take that approach of not getting too, um, stuck in a routine where you're coming home from work or from school and you're not able to kind of go out well go out you know like actually force yourself to get outside not just to go to your car and go to work or go to school but actually try to find some some things that you can do that are not too expensive i know the winter sports can be pretty pricey as far as skating or um, hockey or um, skiing or snowboarding a lot of these sports tend to actually you, know, you got to buy a lot of gear for it with snow um, snowboarding and heck, snowmobiling and skating and ice hockey and all that kind of stuff but you know there's a lot of stuff that's pretty cheap you know um um i guess one is um building snowmen snow angels um sledding you know sleds aren't that much money if you can find one used you know find a hill um that kind of thing so you know snow fights you know heck the snow's right there on the, on the ground so it's not too bad but um yeah today we're going to be talking about something interesting something that's been rattling on in my head today um actually it's been a little bit that i've been thinking about it and i thought maybe i will talk about it on the podcast here so i wanted to talk about the uh i, I guess it kind of depends on where you live and what sort of social media or internet sort of sites you check out and things of that nature but over the last few years, there's been a rise within, I guess you could say more of the urban settings and also probably within the, you know, with the other parts of the other parts of, um, outside of rural areas, which is a, um, I guess you could call it a culture and that's the culture of minimalism. Um, I first heard about minimalism about, man, I'd say maybe a few years ago when I was talking to a friend about some of the clutter that I had accumulated in my car and stuff like that. And I was thinking, looking at ways to kind of just, you know, clear up some space so you don't have as much for your eyes to follow when you walk into your car or when you walk into your room or your apartment or your house or whatever. And I stumbled, um, we were just talking about it at work and, and I uh, was doing some research online. And so I checked out this site and it was by this, these two gentlemen, um, Ryan Nicodemus and um, what's his, what's the other gentleman's name? Um, and, oh my gosh. Uh, they're part of the minimalist. Um, they're, they're a two man group. Uh, they've worked, they're from Dayton, Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. And so they started a website 
probably in I think 2010 or 2011 and what transpired from that was this sort of movement they have two specials on Netflix they have a very popular um, YouTube channel as well as podcast uh, they write they've written a, a number of books all the things you um, I think all the things you give away or whatever the case might be but at the end of the day these gentlemen have um, I guess you could say pioneered somewhat of a cottage industry of getting people to um, their tagline is to live a more meaningful life with less and you know it sounds really good on the surface and by no means am I criticizing what they're talking about because I think we can all do with a lot less stuff we can all do with a lot less clutter a lot less hindrance to our happiness as far as our bank accounts and what we spend our money on and you know purchasing things that just break down on us and that we don't necessarily need and <clears throat> all, all the like you know all the all the good talking points but with every movement and with every you know, ideal, there comes a counterpoint, a counter ideal to that. And so in the last couple of years, there's been a movement of people who are calling themselves maximalists, I guess, or anti-minimalists or whatever the case might be. And these are people that feel that it's okay to have a lot of stuff and that, you know, culturally speaking, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, hordes of National Geographic magazines and you know, books as far as the eye can see, as long as it's not hurting anybody, as long as you're not um, practicing hoarding tendencies and things of that nature. So, <clears throat> pardon me, got something in my throat here. So, recently I was checking out this article. It was written on October the 15th, 2020. Um, and it actually is this um, website called The Anti Maximalist. Um, and basically, it was written by Eric. And it says, is minimalism for the rich a response to two articles? So we'll just take a little uh, read of this here and then kind of break it down and, and um, look at the points that are being made by this. But uh, basically what it says here, I recently read two articles from Maneater and The Guardian, which argued that minimalism is for the rich. On the surface, it seems, seems true. Some minimalist aesthetics can be quite expensive. But when diving deeper, perhaps there's a better explanation. In the beginning of the article, Minimalism is for the Wealthy, Elizabeth Oaken's son first argues that many people can't afford the aesthetics associated with the lifestyle. She expresses that a major part of it is buying high-quality products to not keep spending on lower-quality products. My understanding is that a majority of minimalism is focusing your choices around what matters to you in life. That doesn't always equate to buying a higher quality product. That's just one form of how people practice minimalism. In some cases, for some people, what really matters right now for their life is continuing to have shelter, continuing to be able to put food on the table and maintain other necessities. If minimalism was mainly about buying higher quality products, it would contradict the point of owning less material things. People who look at minimalism as buying expensive aesthetics fall into the trap of believing the stereotype. Stereotypes, to some extent, are the fault of a particular group. People in a group reflect certain qualities, um, certain qualities, enough times for outsiders to start associating that quality with the whole group. Nevertheless, as humans, we, we have to look beyond stereotypes to fully understand what a group is all about. Getting rid of items is a luxury. So, Okun Soon, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, uh, her next argument focuses on the idea of getting rid of items being a luxury. She mentions that the Mary Kondo method about ridding items that no longer spark joy. 
Okinson argues the ability of purchasing something and getting rid of it is a privilege. People keep things because they don't know if they'll be able to afford to repurchase it. Her belief is that hoarding makes sense for those on a fixed income. Perhaps understandably, those on fixed incomes worry about missing what they've given up more than those who aren't. It's because of that many decluttering articles encourage storing items away for a little while before finally getting rid of them. Having a collection of items in and of itself isn't bad if those items bring one joy. It's when those items don't bring joy that it becomes a problem. Okinson expressed that it is not responsible to get rid of something on fleeting emotion. And this is again why it's important to hold on to items stored away for a time period before getting rid of them. And if one gets rid of an item but realizes later that they want it back and can't afford it, that's a risk one takes for happiness. Should we not risk disappointment for the sake of potentially gaining more happiness? Not making certain choices because we fear making a mistake doesn't seem like the best way to live. And then they also make an argument of the privilege of choice. Okinson, um, her last argument, argues that choice is a privilege and that makes minimalism hypocritical. She expresses it's easy to want nothing when you can choose to have everything. Her argument again seems to fall into the stereotype that living a minimalist lifestyle does involve having less of what you don't need, but it does not involve wanting nothing. Contrary to popular belief, you don't have to have bare white walls, tiny furniture, or a tiny house in order to be a minimalist. In fact, I've written an entire article on the topic of items one doesn't need to to practice the lifestyle. Secondly, whether one is on a fixed income or not, we all have choices. Yes, wealthier people do have more choices than those who are well who are less well off but to say those less well off can't choose a simpler life with less material possessions just isn't true one could even argue that it's because those who are less well off focus so much on attaining material possessions they end up remaining in the economic position they're in wasting money on the latest expensive shoes smartphones and other products rather than paying off debt or saving for a new home I should quickly state that I don't believe this is the mindset of every individual who is in this situation. But if anything, minimalism, particularly in the form of being frugal with finances, could be extremely beneficial for lower income individuals. Uh, The closing argument of this article states that the author closes by reiterating the stereotype of minimalism being about buying expensive aesthetics. If it were, then yes, it would be only for the rich. But as I've pointed out, it's far more than that. It's unfortunate some presentations of minimalism have muddied the true meaning behind it, but it's important to dig beyond the appearance and look at the deeper meaning behind the message. And then there's another article that was written in The Guardian, and it spoke about how minimalism, another boring product wealthy people can buy. Chelsea Fagan. Oh, Chelsea Fagan. Um, I follow her. If I'm not mistaken, I I think she she writes for the... um, Uh, she has a website called the financial diet. I could be wrong, but I, I, yeah, I I follow her, um, her her, her YouTube channel as well. But in this article that, and she hates minimalism. If you've ever checked out her web, her YouTube channel, it's, um, it's pretty entertaining when she goes on her rants. Uh, Chelsea Fagan lays it out from the get-go that she hates minimalism. Her first critique of the lifestyle is the aesthetic is safe and uninteresting. On this point, I think many minimalists would be in agreement with that. Me and my partner certainly don't care for boring white walls. We like color in our lives. And I'm sure a lot of other people that practice minimalism do as well. 
buying expensive items. Similar to the previous article, Fagan argues that minimalism is basically people buying expensive stuff to show off to others. She lists a bunch of different expensive items that some people purchase to fit the lifestyle. I'd reiterate that I uh, um, particularly, or part, uh, I'm sorry, I'd reiterate that it's partly the fault of some minimalism giving off this perception, but it's also the fault of businesses jumping on the trend. As the lifestyle rose to popularity, companies just started slapping the word minimalism on most of the other products. But just just because something is branded as such doesn't mean that it is. We have to be smart in recognizing that and help others recognize that too. What one deems as valuable to own could be of any cost. Um, And one should certainly, oh sorry, what one deems as valuable to own could be of no cost to another and one should certainly look at items that 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 they value at a cost that's affordable to them a moral lifestyle that's offensive to the poor oh my gosh this portion of the author's argument i found very intriguing so fagan expresses that minimalism can only be practiced in a meaningful way for those who it's not forced on due to financial or logistical circumstances she argues one can't declutter if their home is already sparse One can't reduce food consumption if they can only put one good meal on the table. Fagan continues on by expressing that because half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, they live a forced minimalism, and that more wealthier people choosing to reduce their items and limit what they choose to buy is is a gratuitous play of a gratuitous display of privilege. I think this critique doesn't give low-income individuals enough credit. Yes, in many cases, they do already have less items and already have to limit what they buy. Still, some of those same low-income individuals can sometimes spend on expensive things that aren't meaningful in their lives. Big screen TVs, new video game consoles, and very expensive smartphones instead of saving their finances to afford a better living situation. It gets spent on unnecessary materialistic possessions. I want to re- uh, restate again. I know that it's not very um, that it's not very lower income individual circumstances, but it is in some cases. The, they fall into the same trap the author criticizes minimalism of falling into, buying products to show off to other people around them. It's because of, it's because of that minimalism could be perfectly suited to help poor individuals break away from materialistic possessions and focus on what matters more, creating a better life for themselves. Fagan makes the assumption that all lower income people are doing everything they possibly can to limit purchases and reduce items they don't need. I think to believe that's true is to assume humans are more perfect than they actually are. Perhaps it's more logical that even with lower income peoples, there's room for improvement with minimalism in their lives. But at the same time, I agree with her that some poor individuals could do everything they can in in a more minimalist way and still struggle. We as a society have not done enough to address the economic issues that leave low income individuals with less opportunities for financial success. In closing arguments for Fagan's article, she states that the minimalist lifestyle presents itself as a morally superior movement but it's just a style admittedly yes people do promote simple living while bludgeoning others with it with pompous blog posts as Fagan uh, Fagan wrote wrote in her article Uh, it's wrong for anyone to put down other people in promoting the way they live uh, promoting the way they live making them happy but minimalism is not just a style before it became this trendy thing before we even had this word for it simple living was always about living a more meaningful life Focusing more on things that matter to us and less on things that don't. Reading ourselves of certain worldly possessions that don't add value. Have there been mistakes in the movement? Sure. But the core message is something that we can all agree with in some form or another. 
I think both articles do a great job communicating what minimalism shouldn't be about. I hope I've done an equally great job in presenting what it should be. And so uh, this was written back in October of last year, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, it's it's a really interesting article in that it talks about this new, I say new, but this new sort of examination on what minimalism um, is now. For most people, if you've um, if you if you haven't grown up rich, you haven't grown up with a lot of things, it could seem almost counter, you know. Um, counter to everything that society and culture is telling you that you need to amass more buy more spend more you know the only thing we're not doing more of is saving it seems and so when you have all of this stuff it can make you feel a little bit less poor you know i will readily admit when i was living on my own and you know i just had enough money to pay to pay the rent and maybe a little bit left over for gas and then food and you had to kind of juggle do you pay the light bill or the phone bill or do you you know duck your landlord and pay your rent late and risk having that you know eviction notice on your door um you know when you came home from your you know nine to five job that you you got because you were laid off and it was the only thing you could find and you come into an empty sparse kitchen you know a very empty fridge it would have been very comforting to see a lot of food in that fridge you know it would have been very um uplifting to see a lot of clothes in the um in the cupboard but um all the junk and all the stuff there still wouldn't have equated to money you know it still wouldn't have equated to uh, having having you know um some financial security that i could have you know paid my rent on time or whatever the case was so with within this space what i've seen over the last few years is it 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 falls into a couple categories and you have people who were minimalist because they were poor and so my parents growing up grew up in the caribbean they weren't minimalist they were just broke you know it was everybody you, you barely had anything you you wore the same shoes until they had holes in them and you know it wasn't until the shoes got so bad that they weren't even shoes they were just covering your feet it, they, there was no bottoms anymore and you know you had hand-me-downs from if you had brothers and sisters you know you got what they grew out of you know and you prayed that they didn't rip holes in them too much and so there wasn't this mentality of that we need to have less we need to have less if you talk to anybody from a third world country they will tell you that you know more was the way to kind of um fix the problem that they had with with poverty with poverty you know coming from a country that didn't have a lot where you didn't have a lot of choice um if you were to talk to anybody from from cuba you know or from a country that's communist right now i mean you you walk into a sobeys or you walk into a walmart and it'll just blow blow your mind i think there's videos online right now that talk about that where you know people who are coming from these countries will walk into these these stores these modern day you know gardens of plenty and just just look around and they can't believe like you have five different types of cheese you know you have three different types of peanut butter you got organic you got crunchy you got you know reduced sugar you got blah 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 it's just the choice is overwhelming and so definitely i feel that on one hand minimalism could be looked at as a first world problem that we have so much stuff you know that we have access to so much trinkets and so many doodads and wizards and you know and things of that nature that we can sort of drown ourselves in this feeling of oh i've got too much stuff woe is me i have too much 
you know, too many things. And, and we all know that that's not necessarily the case within our society. We definitely see people that when you organize a society the way we have with our capitalist system, you get people that move ahead and people that fall behind. That's just the way a society tends to work. But over the last few years, particularly in the 80s and the 90s, when Americans, Canadians, you know, anybody that lives in sort of like a G7 quote unquote first world country were able to get goods at a cheaper rate because companies were able to offshore their their production to China and places where there was let's be honest slave labor and we were able to get our phones and our you know video game consoles and our books and our laptops for you know what would be considered almost you know uh, what the companies were spending pennies on the dollar and their markup would still be a, a cheap affordable price um we started to see the big box malls like, um, I'm sorry, the big box chains like Walmart. And if you live in Canada, it would have been Zellers and, you know, Sears and Wilco and the Bay, uh, which have all been sort of cannibalized by either Walmart or Amazon now. But these companies allowed people to live that quote unquote Canadian American dream. And we were able to amass hordes of stuff, like just massive amounts of stuff. I have a friend who's um, whose father lived next to a lady who passed away and she was in her 80s and you know the neighbors were they were just talking amongst themselves and they stated that the older lady never threw anything out you know she was a child of the dirty 30s and that mindset which, which you see with a lot of people coming from uh, third world countries is that you get what you can while the getting's good and you don't throw anything out because you don't know if you'll need like you know five cheese graters or if you'll need you know three pairs of boots you just don't you never know and because of that the house was not even able to be sellable until they had put in about 30 grand into it from just repairs um it had fallen to all sorts of disarray but the the crazy thing was is that she didn't throw anything out and so this old lady had literally you know just piles of newspapers and and old magazines and coats and and just stuff to the rafters and it's this i think on the other side with minimalism it's this feeling of we have a sickness which is rampant consumerism and you know hoarding which comes from this feeling of scarcity that oh my gosh what's going to happen we saw it you know we, we think we might we're immune to it but we see it um, well, we used to, and I guess we still do to a certain extent with um, Cyber Mondays and Black Friday sales. And back in the day before people would order things online, you would see these these crazy sort of... Um, there was a clock my friend showed me a long time ago that talked about the um, the death toll, which is pretty grim. Of, of the, It counted up like the amount of people that died on uh, Boxing Day sales for the holiday season you know just thinking that people had had guns pulled out on them for a you know a new 4k tv or that people fights broke out for a new toast for a free toaster or whatever the case was like like grown-ass women going into fist fights over the latest pokemon or whatever the case was and so it's i almost see it like a pushback against the culture of consumerism and the fact that hey we're in this state of this almost frenzied state you know, to try and get get while the getting's good, and you know, if if and, and again, we saw it with um, with the toilet paper riots, right? You know, right when things seemed to be the world seemed to be melting, you know, with uh, COVID nineteen just coming into the consciousness of the zeitgeist within our, our population and with our culture, and 
and we saw that mentality. Oh my gosh, are we gonna are we gonna have enough? I mean, there are channels on YouTube. If I've checked out, they're called uh, preppers or city preppers or whatever the case is, where you'll have people showing off their pantries. They'll have emergency rations to last them for five years or enough ammunition in case of the zombie apocalypse or things of that nature. So. I could definitely see how the culture of minimalism stems into fighting off the tide of this sickness where we feel that we're never going to have enough, that, you know, um, where uh, people in the collector community or in the hoarding community or in the prepping community or any of these sort of cultures and subgroups within our culture um, feel that we're not going to have enough that we're not going to be able to take care of our basic needs and necessities. And if we're going to be honest about it, as far as entertainment goes, and as far as even even within Canada and America where things can be really, really harsh, nine times out of ten, if you live a somewhat middle-class lifestyle, you have more than, than you, you possibly need or more than you could possibly eat. Uh, when I was back in the last uh, financial crisis in 2008... There was a term that they called the, oh my gosh, it was called the um, recession belly, where people would um, need to have a certain amount of caloric intake, but food was expensive. And if you lived in a food desert or if you lived in a place where you didn't have access to fresh vegetables and, and fruits and, and nutritious offerings, you would hit up the McDonald's or the Wendy's or the KFC and you would see these filler up meals for like five dollars you'd get like you know two pieces of chicken and a side order of coleslaw and a biscuit and a, and a coke and even though you knew it was it was you know disgusting you could feed a family for 20 bucks and if you got a single mother or a single father or somebody who is you know hurting they've they've they're, they're budgets are tight and everything else, you're going to be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go for that. And so this mentality of, you know, hoarding or, you know, not having enough and needing to overcompensate for that to have like, you know, storage pantries full of stuff is, is quite sobering. So I think, I think a lot of the criticism within the minimalist community can definitely, is definitely warranted. I think there's a lot of people that give it this look and this mentality that, yes, if you have the luxury to get rid of all of your stuff hey good on you but you know what there's nothing wrong with actually having things that you use and and, and granted um like i i um as a, as a fitness trainer and as a coach i know that when you look at let's let's use fitness equipment for, as an example right so you have fitness equipment and there are various tiers of quality um, if you look at the tech world, computers, you know, Apple and, and it seems to be like, you know, the, the standard, right, for um, editing and videos and things of that nature. And those, those products don't go on sale. I remember listening to a pastor say that, that Rolls Royce and Bugatti and Lamborghinis and Maybachs and McLarens, you never see them in, in, the, in, the, in the Kijiji. You never see them on clearance, you know. There's a standard and you got to reach it. And if you can't, then... Good, good on you. Okay. And so the average man in the street will look at that and say, well, okay, there's no way I could afford a McLaren or whatever. Those are the top tier, you know, that's for an elite class. So, okay, maybe I'll look at a Lexus or a BMW. And a lot of these luxury brands, they'll have the higher tier stuff, but they also got like a, a maybe two or three levels below that still give the average man or woman on the street the ability to feel like, oh, okay, I can't afford 
you know, the Bugatti, but I can afford the, the Benz. I can afford the Lexus. I can afford the, the Range, the Land Rover, you know, kind of thing. I can't afford the Rolls Royce, but I can afford something that still says, hey, I'm at a, a certain um, financial status. I'm at a certain tax bracket, if you would. And that is by far one of the... Um, one of the most interesting things in our society. So when we look at that, as far as our capitalist system goes, and so when we look at that and we realize that, hey, you know what? Like, maybe you can't afford the top-tier stuff. And when minimalism says, hey, you want to focus on buying things of quality, they're not necessarily wrong. But at the, but it's, it's sort of like a catch-22 because you want to be able to afford quality stuff so you don't have to keep buying the junk. So if you you know, save up and buy a, a really nice watch, that's awesome. But in the meantime, in the inter, like in the in, immediate future right now, you need to, you need a watch to tell the time. So you're going to maybe buy a cheap one because that's all you can afford. Well, if all you can afford is the cheap one and they keep breaking down and you keep having to buy the cheap ones, you can't actually have a bit of a runway to save up to buy the, the, the quality ones. So you don't have to keep buying the cheap ones. Um, it is. It, it's, it can be very frustrating because you look at, like I said, tech or um, fitness equipment or anything like that. And yes, you know, like Rogue and Alico and oh, what's another company? Hammer Strength. If you're in the fitness world, these are all names that if you walk into a commercial gym or a private gym and you see these brands, you know, okay, this facility, this owner, he or her or whoever it might be, they're serious about what they're what they're doing. They're like, they're legit. They've paid the money. They understand quality. They understand um, at a certain price point, you expect a certain level of quality. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for people who are just wanting to get in shape, you're not going to need to purchase a $3,000 squat rack. You know, you're not going to need to purchase a four to $5,000 dumbbell set with the rack and, you know, or, you know, an Alico bar that'll cost $500 and bumper plates and deep dish plates that will run you, you know, it's just, it's not necessary. But then again, if you buy a cheap Canadian tire, let's call it what it is, or a Sears weight set, yeah, you're going to get the gains you want, but will it last a long time? You know, will you still have that piece of equipment? You know that you can leave to your kids you know there's a lot of stuff out there like um uh, like the various air bikes out there that are made by rogue or whatever they they average a thousand bucks even on the resale market you can't get i mean you're lucky if you find an air bike or a rogue um echo bike for less than a 900 bucks used right and so when you look at that we think okay do you just save up and go without and then once you're able to, you get the quality stuff or you say, hey, you know what? I need, I want to start losing weight now. I want to start making videos now. So instead of, you know, purchasing the Apple computer, you buy the, the, um, the lesser version, you know? I mean, there was, and, and uh, that's, that's just life. I mean, you have some people who can afford or who will put um, a, a certain price tag of value on certain things whereas somebody might say yeah I'm, I, I I you know I'm a photographer and I, I need quality so I'll go with Canon or I'll go with whatever and I go with the best software and other people are like eh, you know what I'm good with making it work with what I got and but they might spend a lot of money on bikes I had a friend who I worked with who he owned the bikes that he owned were never less than 2000 or up and up you know and we're talking like premium 
premium pieces of machinery. When I when when I look at some of the stuff that he had, I, I would just be in a, a gas. You know, there's no way I would ever spend. And I love to bike, get out there and ride, but I couldn't see myself spending anywhere less than. You know, I could see like a you know seven hundred, you know, kind of stuff like that, like under a thousand for sure. But anything above that, if it's costing me more than my car, you know, I just can't do it. And that's just, that's where our society is right now. So I feel, bringing it back to the discussion of minimalism, I definitely feel that there is a movement against our hoarding, over-consumerized culture, you know, particularly now that we're heading into the holiday, uh, quote-unquote, season, you know, the holiday shopping season. Um, Black Friday is is coming up in the States, and before it used to be just one day, now it's a week, now it's Cyber Mondays, now... I mean, we have Christmas in July. We have, you know, any effort that stores and businesses can use to extract every last dollar from you, however, in every which way they can. I think that it's a good way to kind of balance that a little bit. You know, if everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid and we're all drunk, ain't nobody can drive home and get us out of out of this mess. So I, I definitely feel that even though the trappings of minimalism could seem like it's uh, an elite sort of practice where you know you only buy things that are of quality and only shop places where the you know the food is like it's whole foods like the mindset is like you you drive a, you ride a segway and a skateboard or a longboard and you're you know in your ethically sourced you know slippers and your pants that are made by this company in Seattle and you know you only wear black and gray and you know and this stuff like that and it can take on this a little bit of a holier than thou mentality because not everyone's there not everyone has that want or desire or even ability to do that that kind of stuff and i think there needs to be a space for both i definitely feel that you know collecting can be fun and it can be a kind of enjoyable hobby but there's a lot of uh, there's there's a, a lot of collecting channels that I follow on YouTube and you know there's there's always that feeling of when is it too much you know when do you have too much stuff like if you have a basement full of shelves of DVDs are you gonna watch them all you know like and I mean and that brings us into uh, physical media which will be actually our next um, podcast we're gonna be talking about that but. Um, in, in a digital world, you know, what does it all mean? And, and, and that kind of thing is there still room for books and, you know, physical copies of music, but you know, if you're collecting all this stuff, you know, God forbid, what will happen when you die? Who's going to, who's going to want all this crap? You know know what I mean? And so I think, uh, definitely the minimalist lifestyle does lend itself to some positives and some negatives as well as collecting, you know? So I, I think there's space for both. And I, just like anything, too many, too far of an extreme will kill you, right? I mean, too much sleep, you know, you might not wake up, right? You know, and not enough sleep, you know, you you got problems all together with that as well. But yeah, it was just something I wanted to talk about. It was, um, it seemed um, very, I want to say topical, but just within the space that we're in right now, as far as, you know, Christmas time is coming and it's the holidays and stores are finally starting to reopen after the traumatic season we were in with COVID over, you know, the last little bit and how it's still affecting a lot of stores out there that, you know, perhaps we can think a little bit more ethically about how we spend our dollars. That's not to say we shouldn't you know, if you don't, if you want to buy your kid a toy and you can afford it, yeah, buy him the toy or her the toy. But you know, maybe you look at the stuff you have and say, hey, do I 
you know, kind of ask yourself, do I really need this? You know, or is this a want? Is this a need or a want? You know, uh, because the last thing you want to do is be begging for the things you you need, but you've got a whole room full of wants. You know, I know I've, I've been there. You know, so. But anyways, until next time, stay safe out there. Um, keep a lookout for more episodes as we uh, as we talk about art and culture and all the things in between. Until next time, take care.